And let's get right into the reading of the word of the Lord, what the Lord has laid on my heart for today. Judges chapter 16, verse 4 says, And it came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Psalms 23, 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. God, I ask you to use this word today, the anointed word that you had placed before us before, and apply it to our hearts and our lives. Help me to speak what you want me to speak today, and that only. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. You may be seated. Praise God. And for a few moments, I'd like to talk on the subject of in the valley. In life, we cross many valleys. Deaths of loved ones often make us feel like we are in a valley. Times of confusion often give us the outlook that we are in the valley. When depression comes knocking, and it does often, we often can uh, label that as a valley we're going through. Motivation seems to be lacking in our day-to-day and in the mundane tasks. We often say that we are just in a valley. In the valleys, it's where the battles are fought, and in valleys is where wars are taking place. It's in valleys where water will pool up from the running down of the streams on the mountainsides. And it's in the valley where we find the herbs of the field and the the fruit and the berries and the sustaining needs you're going to need to get to the top of the mountain ahead. It's in the valley where still waters are found, we read in our text of Psalms 23. As he said, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He said, he leadeth me beside the still waters in the valley. It's in the valley where we pass through some of our most dangerous moments of life. It's in the valley where we pass through and we think we are going to be all right because it's smooth sailing from here. If you've ever been on side of a mountain where you're climbing in serious terrain or it's shale and you have no you have no footing and nothing you grab is solid rock, when you make it to the valley, you think you are okay. Because you've made it down the mountain. But if you've ever been sheep hunting in Alaska, you know that that valley only means one thing. There's another mountain coming on the other side. There's another hill I've got to climb. There's another trouble I'm going to have to face. And it's in the valley where we have to come to grips with what's on the side of the mountain. It's in the valley where animals will seek their prey. It's in the valley where snares are often set in the crevices of the the valley, in the very middle, the very center, because that's where animals come for vegetation and they come for water. It's in the valley where most activity happens at night. It's in the valley and crossing of the terrains where the most luscious greenery grows in the middle of your valley. But it's also in in the middle of the valley where enemy will lie wait for your soul. It's also in the middle of the valley where decisions are made to turn to the left or turn to the right. It's in the valley where choices are to ascend or choices are made to descend. It's choices in the valley where David said it like this, I look to the hills whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord. It was valleys like the valley of Elah where the battle of Goliath was fought and the victory was won. David did not look at the hills because he was depressed. David looked at the hills because he needed strength. He looked at the hills because he needed to remember of the past victories that he wrought on the other side of the valley. And he looked at mountaintops and he looked at the hills, it wasn't because he wanted to be there. It wasn't because he thought the grass was greener on the other side.
side of the valley. It was the fact that he remembered, I was once in the valley. I was once in a troubled time. I was once in a storm. I was once under the shadow of death. But God brought me out. But God brought me through. It's in the valleys where you remember because you're looking at the past victories. It's in your valley where you can look back and know, I'm going to make it because I made it through yesterday. I made it through my past problems. It's in the valley where the most crucial decisions are made. Praise God. Hallelujah. It's in the valley where we reflect upon things we once faced. It's in the valley where Samson loved. In the valley we read in our text. Samson made the decision in his valley to fall. Samson made the decision in his valley to not look to the hills but to look to the beauty. It's in the valley we talked about a minute ago where you see the green, you see the berries, you got the water, you got the stillness. And the thing is this, if we get caught up in our valley, we'll fall. If we get caught up in looking at the beauty of our valley, we'll forget the mountaintop we're supposed to climb ahead of us. This is not an easy road to make it to heaven. This is not going to be some paved highway. We've got mountaintops upon mountaintops if we're ever going to make it. And I hope and I pray we all do. But don't get lost in your valley. Don't get sidetracked of the beauty of your valley. Samson, he says he fell in love with a woman in the valley and her name was Delilah. I'm not trying to take this message to a turn, don't you worry. But it's in the valleys where we decide what we're going to focus on. It's in valleys where we choose left or choose right, choose up or choose down, choose beauty or choose destiny. We've all been promised things. We've all been destined things. We've all been called to do something for God, to make it one day to that glorious, glorious uh, taking away in the sky. But it's in the valley where you choose things that will make it if it happen or not. It's in the valley where you'll choose things in your life that will either allow you into heaven or he'll turn and say, depart from me, I never knew you. Be careful in your valley what you do. Be careful in the easy times of life what you choose to cling to, what you choose to hold on to. Be careful what conversations you allow yourself to get into when you're in the middle of the valley. When you're in just a little of a peaceful moment, be careful what you let out of your mouth. Be careful what you let into your spirit. Be careful because it's there that you're going to gain the strength that you need for the mountaintop experience. Praise God. Praise God. It's the valley where we see the most beautiful things. But it's also in the valley where the enemy lies wait for your soul. It's also the, the, the very moments and the very uh, uh, important times of your life when you need to get the water, you need to get the fruit, you need to get the vegetation because tomorrow you don't know what's coming. Tomorrow you don't know what storm you're going to face. You don't know how steep that climb is really going to be. If you would have been in 2019 and looked ahead to 2020, none of us would have known how tough 2020 was going to be. Sure, there were so many people of God praying who were in tune with the Spirit, and God was giving some warning, and God was giving some insight. But I can tell you right now, the insight given was only a foretaste of what was to come. Do I think 2020 is over? Obviously not. But I can tell you right now, while we are in the valley, while we are in the middle of a calm, while we are in the middle of a moment of clarity, why don't we take on the necessities we're going to need for tomorrow? Why don't we take into our spirit the things we're going to need to make it through tomorrow's pandemic, tomorrow's nightmare, tomorrow's threat? 
Praise God. It's in the valley of today where you're going to make your choices for tomorrow. Hallelujah. It's in the valley. It's in the valley. Praise God. I've been in many different valleys across this area here and all the way to Valdez and some in Kenai. And the one thing that never changes is in the valley, the easiest. It is the easiest part to walk. Even in the deep terrain, I was hiking in Sparabon, Alaska, way out in the middle of nowhere, and the terrain was literally up to my waist in thick alders. But even in that, it was easier than the mountains I had to climb to get there. Some of those mountains were literally, I thought, was going to take my life. I'm not an avid climber, so I know that's a little exaggeration. But when I'm on the side of a mountain and I have no water and I, I don't know what to hold on to and my feet are slipping and I look down and it's steeper than I can handle, I feel like I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. I feel like I'm about to face the end. There's been many times when I was in Valdez one time I slipped and I fell off of a ravine and luckily, I, not luckily, blessed by the Lord, I landed about 15 feet down. But I stayed there for several hours trying to find my way out. But it's in the valley, you can look at the mountain and know your terrain and know which route you're going to take. But if we're in the valley and we're focused on everything we're going through, and we're focused on yesterday, and we're focused on the problems we've had, and we're focused on the misery we just had to go through, we're not going to be looking ahead enough to know what we're going to need for tomorrow. We're not going to look ahead enough to know, I'm going to have to go this way if I'm going to make it there. And a lot of times we try to take straight up the mountain without the proper strength we need. How many times, I've done it many times in life, where I don't come into church and get what I need, really. I come and listen to a sermon, I go home and live like I was going to live. And then all hell breaks loose, and I call the pastor, I call the pastor, and I say, I didn't see this coming. Help me, help me, I'm, I'm in trouble. And he says, well, did you not hear what I preached yesterday? I preached right to that. And it's in valleys like on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights and prayer meeting Tuesdays where we can finally come and relax and breathe. And we are supposed to get what we need for the next day, for the next storm, and the next trial. But often we don't. I'd like to encourage someone today in the next few minutes to get what you can out of today's service. To get what you can out of this valley. To get what you can out of the calm, out of the clarity, out of the moments where you can think with your right mind. Brother Booker preached a message. He said, when I was in my right mind, you make the best decisions when you're in your right mind. You make, you make the toughest of decisions when you're in your right mind. But it's, the, it's valleys like today that give you the strength of tomorrow when you have to make those choices, when you have to make those decisions, when you have to make up your mind, I'm going to come, come hell or high water, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to keep my head down. I'm going to keep praying. I'm not going to listen to the voices of the enemy. I'm not going to listen to those voices that tell me it's too steep. It's too hard. Turn back. Go back. I'm not going back. Palmer Church, you're not going back. We've got to continue forward. We've got to keep pressing on for the mark of the prize of the high calling. Thank you, Jesus. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord of heaven. Hallelujah, Jesus. Um, Sister Dakota, I can tell you already I want that on the podcast, okay? So you don't need to choir. I don't want you to lose your spirit or your drive, your ambition here, but I want to take a moment to recognize Sister Rachel. 
We had the privilege of baptizing her in the name of Jesus. We're going to get a picture right here. Congratulations. Full steam ahead, Sister Rachel. Full steam ahead. <clears throat> Brad, I don't know if you've been with me there. I know you've probably done it numerous times on your own, but I never, I never s cease to be amazed how frequently I hear news reports about people getting hurt on flat top in Anchorage. Never climb flat top. It's it's not it's not long at all. It's it's thirty minutes to the top. You park you park way up high, but it's probably about twice as high as the peak altitude. But that last two hundred yards is big, like uh, I don't know half of a car sized boulders, and it literally turns really steep. So I, I could understand that, but I, every year. I've heard numerous people dying on flat top. And I'm thinking, on flat top? But I believe, I don't know all the cases, but I believe it's because people think like I just thought, this is simple, and they get careless. We always need the Lord. You know that, right? We always need the Lord. I don't, I don't care if your bank account is so fat you feel like I, I can put it on cruise control now. You need the Lord. You need the Lord. And the reason I say that is because of what he just said. We never know what tomorrow holds. We just don't know. You may have everything stacked just like you planned it when you left high school or got married or, or whatever. We just don't know. We need the Lord. Need the Lord. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5 says that you have heard that it was said by them of old time. How would you translate that if I asked you today? This is something that everybody has heard. It's, it's been around so long. It's common knowledge, maybe you would say. Jesus said, you have heard. It's been said of them of old time. Thou shalt not kill. He's quoting the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments. It really means do no murder is what it means in the Hebrew. PETA members. Murder. Human beings made in the image of God. And whosoever shall kill, Jesus is quoting, shall be in danger of the judgment. But verse 22, please. But I say unto you. You should look in your Bible when you're just meandering through how often Jesus or one of the apostles dealt with a subject at hand that we all thought was traditional and present even though it was old, it was important in the present, in the moment. But then they followed up with like this. But I say unto you, 
Whoever is angry with his brother without a cause, that's so important right there, without a cause. Does not mean every time you get angry, you're in trouble with God. Can I get a witness from somebody? Because the spirit behind my anger really is what God is dealing with or looking at. There is such a thing as righteous indignation. Anybody ever heard of that? Some people just stir you up and you don't sin in your frustration or your anger. But then again, there's that line. I don't know anybody that hasn't crossed that line. Look at all them halos I'm looking at today. Look at all those halos you put on your head today. Everybody crosses that line. Some of you crossing it right now. How dare him say that? Close me out the rest of the service. Without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Thank you, Brother Brad, for saying it's not an easy road to salvation. It's easy to get to the point where we're converted. He's got to repent. But he that endures to the end. If Jesus tells me it takes enduring, that means there's some struggle in this. To fight the good fight of faith. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Endanger the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Rika, shall be in danger of the council. Now he's dealing with the ever-present, super-spiritual board members of the Sanhedrin council. The holier-than-thou. The look down their long nose at people who are broken and wounded and scarred. And whosoever shall say, thou fool, in danger of hellfire. And I'm just going to talk for a couple minutes, I promise you, about, about foolish. Foolish. Look at somebody and say, that's foolish. When you're talking about the New Testament, we read every day. The English language is so imprecise, it's impossible to put in words. And the text usage of the term fool, the word fool today, is a good example. Jesus said calling someone fool, rake up, puts us in an ex uh, a special category concerning the counsel or the final say, the judgment of God. But yet, Brother Corey, if you read the Bible... Jesus called people foolish. Paul did too. Peter called people fools. Solomon repeatedly made references to people of foolish nature. Now, to get to the end before I need to, just so I can put your mind at rest today, the, the answer is this. And I'm going to take the next 15 minutes to get to this, but I'm going to give you the end of the book, the last page before I get started. The answer is the imprecise English that we read and, and know. It's imprecise English, loose English. Jesus said, watch out how you use the word. But it seems like in the New Testament we read, it was used by men of God. First Peter 2. 
verse 15. Brother Joseph, sir, 1 Peter 2, verse 15. Peter said, there's foolish men out there. The Greek word for foolish in 1 Peter 2.15 is spelled A-P-H-R-O-N, but it's pronounced like this cooking garment, apron. Apron. And Peter said, there are some people out there you deal with that are apron. They have foolishness in mind. It literally means without thinking or being rash too often. It means responding without all the information. Oh, I'm preaching to myself today. Can I just be big enough to tell you I'm preaching right at myself today? To respond before I have all of the matter in hand is apron. It's foolish. To make an assessment or a judgment that changes somebody's life or affects them in a negative way without all the information is foolish. Man, it's getting quiet in here today. Sometimes the way we deal with things at work is foolish. Sometimes the assessments we come to or the, or the judgment we arrive at in church can be foolish. Sometimes the way we deal with things in our family can be apron, foolish, not very well thought out, kind of rash. Psalm 53, 1, God calls atheists fools. No, David authored this, but God inspired it. So, it's the application and the spirit behind it that gives it the intensity or the lack thereof that begs for justice. You hear what I said? It's the spirit behind it or the intensity with which it's pushed that provokes God to respond or to let it go. And by the way, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 11 the Apostle Paul called himself Apron. Himself. But when you go to Galatians 3, let's read 1, 2, and 3. Brother Anthony, sir, would you do us a huge favor? Remember what we've been talking about with Galatians recently? They're stuck on the Mosaic law, and he's trying to get them to realize the power of grace. Apron, anedos. Now the word grows here. The word foolish amplifies. It has a root in apron, being rash, 
But the Greek word here is different. It's A-N-O-E-T-O-S. And it carries the same basic understanding, but it means more directly unwise, lacking wisdom. Yes, it's connected to being rash and uninformed, but there's a wisdom or a lack of wisdom element involved here. So Paul is saying, you lack wisdom. You have zeal. You've been redeemed by the grace of God. You lack wisdom in trying to continue to sacrifice doves and pigeons and bullocks and the blood of animals. He said, while I admire zeal, you don't have any wisdom. And Paul calls the lack of wisdom foolish. Anybody ever hear somebody's reason for doing something crazy and and you just think, well, that's kind of foolish. Did I give you Titus 3 and verse number 3, Titus chapter 3 for the DJ, sir? Paul said, now we, we know that we have been A-N-O-E-T-O-S. We have been unwise. Well, I'm a born-again Jesus name, brand-new creature in Christ. I'm glad you are. That does not exclude you from the possibility of being obedient to your flesh and being foolish once in a while. Hey, I, I've never been to one AA meeting in my life. I'm not saying that because I'm proud of it, but I've heard from people that I love that have been there that they say, and if I'm wrong, forgive me. I stand corrected. But they say one of the, one of the first steps to recovery is admitting you've got an issue. Huh? One thing we don't like to do as Jesus name baptized, Holy Ghost filled child of God is admit we might have an issue. We don't like that. We don't like that. Well, I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher. I'm in leadership. I play the drums. I play the guitar. We don't like, we're not comfortable saying, but I have an issue. Every once in a while, I make judgments that are not thought out. Solomon wouldn't look at me when I'm in that frame of mind and say, wow, that's wise of you. So when Jesus, Paul, Peter, Solomon said, foolish, in every application it means unwise, acting rash, responding without all of the information. And it goes without saying. To, to take someone and warn them because their actions are unwise, I think is a good thing. I think it's, it's, it's needed. If we had more dads in this world that would tell their kids, you're being foolish right now, son. Not that you're criticizing everything they do, but you're man enough to say, no one's going to like me when I make this decision. I'm going to be public enemy number one. But son, you're being silly here. You're not thinking this out.
We've all been there. But when Jesus brings up the subject in Matthew 5, he's going to go deeper than we've ever gone. And again, remember, loose English leaves us kind of dangling out there without any solid ground to grab. We only know A through Z. I don't know a secondary alphabet. I don't. Not attached to the English language. I'm not aware of it. But let's see if we can just meander into something good here. The word fool. The translator put it both in English rendering and then he applied it in the Greek here. Jesus said, but when you go there, there's something you need to be aware of. The spirit behind your throwing it out there means a lot. The word fool is the Greek word, again, rendered twice in our verse, Matthew 5, 22, please this, is reka. Listen to this. It is a slight, S-L-I-G-H-T, against someone's internal character. It is more than a slandering of his personal name. It is a grave, G-R-A-V-E, insult, unquote. Rekha is a serious reproach of one's personal reputation. Now you say, well, some people deserve it because they have no reputation unless it's bad. Hold on to that assessment. I'm quoting when I say, it was the lowest of Aramaic insults. I read again that in English language, there is no slang so vulgar as Rekha. I'm still quoting. It is worse than someone spitting in your face. Unquote. There's a lot of things you'll take as a man or a woman in life. I don't like the way you look. I don't like the way you talk. I don't like the choices you make. Your, your, the sound of your voice annoys me. A lot of things you'll say, ah, whatever, get over it, doc. Or maybe you'll think about it for a while and you'll move on. But the translator said, it's lower than someone spitting There is no English connection. I can't make words appear out of nothing. It's lower than that. Rekha. When slung with negative intention under the belt Lower than safety intention, Jesus said, you're walking on thin ice. Jesus, Peter, Paul, and Solomon all use the word fool, but they never, one time, it is not found in the Hebrew or Greek, never did they use the word rekha when looking at a child making a foolish decision or a man or woman making an unri- uh, unwise decision. You can't connect the dots. There's nothing you can say. It's dirtier than you can think. It's lower than you can imagine. This is why. 
Rekha smears the very nature of a person. The very nature of a person. Now listen, if you're an alcoholic, drug addict, in the eyes of God, sin is sin. If you just hate someone sitting in this church today, you're no better than the guy out there that can't get through 24 hours without a shot of booze or someone putting a needle in their arm. Walk thinking you're better than somebody else. You have this, you're going to stand before God for sin, period. I'm going to stand before God for sin, period. Sin is sin, right. And I don't want to go somewhere. I don't have time to go today. But there really are levels of hell. We can get there if we, if we have time on another day. Uh, because I can't just leave it there. I mean, if you steal a dime store, you know, pencil, type pencil from the break room at work, is it the same as if you go out and violently take someone's life? Of course it isn't. But it's the nature of things. You were born in sin and shapen in iniquity, Psalm 51.5. It's the, yes, it's the nature behind the act or the conduct of me or you or anybody else that God wants to deal with what, in challenging us, commanding us to be born again. Rake up in the smearing sense that Jesus is addressing in Matthew 5. We'll be in danger of the judgment the council, or even hellfire. And the word hell here in Matthew 5.22 is where we get our word translated Gehenna. There was a big garbage pit outside of Jerusalem. It was just something that smoldered all the time. They, they burnt their ruins. They burnt their refuge. And it was always smoldering. And he's talking about, it was referred to like hell. It's always burning. And when he said Gehenna, he was trying to draw their attention to the to the dump outside of Jerusalem that's always on fire. But they were tr supposed to connect the dots that fire, refuge, eternity. This is why it's so, so important. Because no matter what is in your past, no matter what's in your present, no matter what's in your past or present or future, if you choose to walk out on God, if you, if you throw God off flippantly like a piece of garbage to be burned, God offers you Him, and we throw Him away. Guess what? It doesn't change one thing concerning how you were born. You were born in the image of God. Saint or sinner, red, yellow, black, white, tall, short, fat, skinny, educated or ignorant, handsome or ugly as a mud fence. Every human being is made in the image of God Almighty. Period. Made in the image of God. One of the reasons why I can't stand religion as, a, as when it gets to organizational religion. We are no better than anybody else. Nobody else. Listen, I thank God for our relationship with God. This new birth, infilling of the Holy Ghost, thank God for it. It is our earnest. It is our down payment. 
And if someone would just trust me and say, do I need that, Pastor? I say, you need it. There's way too much junk in life. You need the Holy Ghost to get through it. But I got news for you. If you're never filled with the Holy Ghost in the present, you are made in the image of God. Now, we're not talking about salvation here. We're talking about you sitting here right now or someone sitting down there getting plastered. God made you in his image. So when someone says, you fool, you are trying to crucify the very image. You're trying to slander, get lower than anything any human mind could come up with. Against the very image that God only placed inside of you. I don't know if you're hearing me or not. So he said, when you deal with that, my friend, you're in danger of the judgment. Because you may think she's going to hell and unworthy of my love. But I made her in my image. I made him in my image. And he may disappoint you, she may frustrate you, they may make choices that send them right through a devil's hell. But brother, while they are here, you have a commandment of God to love them, to care for them, to nurture them. Why? They're made in God's image. the only other time God used such a stern wake-up call was concerning blasphemy. He said, we don't understand. This is how I take it. I don't comprehend. It's so low to put people in the foolish category, not unwise or irrational or making decisions out of incomplete information, but in the sense that I attack the character. Yes, they make bad choices. Yes, I'm disappointed in them. Yes, I wish they were sitting right there. You got to realize this. If they're breathing, God's still working on them. God's still working on them. So we got no right. We're never licensed to say, to hell with them. God said, bro, if you say that, it's you that's walking on very... Thin ice. So she's addicted. So he's bound. I don't mean that like flippantly. So what? I don't mean that. But I'm saying, stop, stop playing judge, jury, and executioner. You can't imagine it, but the Lord Jesus Christ got off the throne and came to the earth and subjected himself to all the filth of religious hierarchy so that that addicted cousin of yours, that alcoholic in-law of yours, and how do we know? Hebrews 9 Writer said, there's coming such a shaking. So that only that which cannot be shaken may remain. 
Is that COVID-19? I don't know. But I do know this. If we stand in judgment of people that have made poor decisions, we are forgetting our own past. Our memory's too short. Because there was a time when you were buying dime bags. Hello, brother. Huh? When you were sleeping around, sister. Hello! Boom, boom, and boom. He'll never be saved. He's, he's cursed God. He's sworn against the Bible. Hey, shaking can change things. All God has to do is just kind of get in your life, pull certain cords, push certain buttons, Turn certain levers or dials. And all of a sudden, that nature that God put in them. I believe it's, I believe it's a CEV. It doesn't matter. One of the major translations, you your homework and check it out. Jesus used the word reka. It's translated empty-headed idiot. Pretty straight word. Like I told you before that when we were kids, there was a certain, I know language evolves, I get it. But we were, if, we, if we said the word suck at home, we got spanked. Today it's like, huh? What did I say wrong? We don't even know. Jesus said, here's my assessment. Watch what you say. Be careful how you judge, categorize, and put your stamp of denial upon someone's ability. You've got to have faith. God can do anything. But save your brother. Save your husband, could save your wife, could save your sister, could save your parent. Never discard them. Never allow yourself the privilege. Never allow yourself the privilege of being flippant about your judgment or assessment of another person. Why is it so important? Because they're all made in the image. That makes you important, brother. Makes you important, sister. We walk right by and we won't even notice and won't even shake their hand today. But God's saying, I'm in you, man. I, I made you to be like me. I made you to be like me. Now, it's up to me to do something about that, to grow that relationship. To go in the door of salvation. All right, I got to go. Foolish, I've been a lot of times. I have. Please don't judge me to be an empty headed, foolish breaker.
Merciful God, we thank you today. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for loving kindness today. That weren't for you, we'd never know it. We'd never experience it. Some of you are in that valley today, Brother Brad. Some people are. Others are on the mountaintop. Anybody want to come pray this morning? Wherever you might be, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, you want to come pray today? No prejudgment involved. No assessment. Just come pray. Come pray.